0: This is Lawrence Scherer. You're listening to The Cinematography Podcast.
1: The following podcast contains explicit language. You're listening to The Cinematography Podcast presented by Hot Rod Cameras, a program about the art, craft, and philosophy of the moving image and the people who make it happen. Coming to you from the world headquarters of Hot Rod Cameras in Hollywood, California, are your hosts, Ben Rock, and Ilya Friedman.
2: Hey, Ilya, how's it going? (laughs) I'm doing just fine, Ben. How are you? I'm doing great. It's like we're standing on a virtual street corner and I just walked up and was like, hey... Hey, I, I like walked up snapping like we're in West Side Story. So
3: <laughs> or or you had like a, a ballot measure you wanted added and I had to give you my, my signature. And like, and
2: um, I don't want to talk to this guy. So, Ilya, before uh, we lose any more new uh, listeners, welcome to the cinematography podcast. I am Ben Rock
3: and I am Ilya Friedman. And yes, the cinematography podcast. God, we've been doing this for a long time now. Six years, six years. It really does. I, it feels like 12 <laughs> Feels like twenty eight. Yes. But hey, you know, I actually just want our listeners to know right now how dedicated we are to now keeping with our schedule of weekly podcasts. We are really we're diving deep into this. We are we are, you know, setting our alarm clocks. You just had a flat tire. But we didn't let that stop us. It's, We're recording right now. Yeah.
2: Ilya is not joking. I literally had a flat tire on my way to recording and a uh, long story. You could probably yeah, see we, it on my we, Facebook. We killed an hour yeah. and uh, got the car going. Thanks to a, a stranger. F- a friendly stranger who came up and changed my tire. And here we are. So and
3: it's probably good because I was showing up uh, basically to emasculate you. That was showing up to be like, I'm the man. I'm going to change your tire right now. I got to
2: work harder than that. Yeah, Ilya. okay,
3: crap. Okay, I was. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> okay, so speaking of, uh, It's like, can
2: you edit in Premiere without taking your hands off the keyboard? Anyway, go on. No,
3: that's that's, that's I totally cannot. <laughs> I cannot. I cannot do that. So I, now I'm the one who's a mouse. Dude. So who is on
2: the show today? Today is Lawrence Sherr. Awesome. So I just got the screener for Joker. Did you watch it? I no. I, I brought that up so I could mention that I didn't. Of course, yes, I watched. I, I watched. Have, Joker. I figured
3: you must. Uh,
2: I, I was dying to see it, and uh, you know, I'll throw, it's fantastic. I'll, I'll throw, here's a coin going into the into the cuss cup clink having a baby has made it really hard for me to go see movies in the theater and Joker wasn't one of the ones that I was able to you know make a, a big enough case for
3: that I'm going to go do so I, I had to be a coward and wait for an academy screener you and I don't agree on movies all that often but on rarely. this rarely almost never almost actually. never but on this one I'm going to guess that we agree because I thought the Joker was fantastic I thought it was really really
2: good I will say this there is a surplus of dancing that I was not prepared for <laughs> There's a lot of dancing if in your the Joker. Your
3: biggest criticism is dancing, then then that movie is five stars. That is, you know, as, as good. A lo- but I just
2: think people who haven't seen the Joker, oh,
3: they're not going to be they're not going to be prepared for some s- some dancing. Either strap like in!
2: It's Joaquin sin- Phoenix sincere
3: it's, it's, or sarcastic it's,
2: dancing. It's not. It's not like the rockets come out. It's like. Joaquin Phoenix but shirtlessly he, dancing. But he
3: nails it. Come on. Come on. He oh, nails
2: it. No, no. I, I think it was an excellent movie, and I thought it had some great nods to the comic. How about the stair dancing? Uh, there was, <laughs> was some great stair dancing. It <laughs> was fucking great. It was um, so good. No, no. I really enjoyed it, but it really sets a tone and a look and a, and a, and a great feeling. So I'm really glad that we had him on because, like, look, he shot... The Hangover, which is a great classic comedy. So much fun. And And it is a fine looking film. But if you brought a really good crew with the intention of making a movie that looks like that in Las Vegas to Las Vegas, you can kind of make that movie every day of the week. But The Joker is stylized to its core and not stylized in a way that, like, it, it's not drawing attention to the style. The style is kind of the background, and, and it's 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 in Gotham City, but it's really like New York City in 1980, and it's skanky and gross, and we've all seen what it looks like, and they nailed it.
3: So we talk about... We uh, by talk the way, about I'm, the not, we... I'm not
2: saying any asshole could go make The Hangover look like The Hangover. <laughs> I'm, sa- I'm, I'm saying that... You, you, you came
3: know, really close to making it sound that way for a second. I'm, there, I'm, so. I'm
2: just saying that... The Hangover is an accurate depiction of what Vegas looks like filmed by great people. This is like next level, amazing looking oh, film. Oh,
3: I, I, I'll give you that. Joker, it definitely feels like next level and, stuff. And he might have
2: and, made a few things since The Hangover. I mean, you know, it's only been like 12 years. No, no, but, but, that's,
3: but that, that's an iconic movie now, yeah. too. And it's a it's an incredibly popular movie, and, and and people know it and love it. So we're going to dive into Joker here in the interview. But uh, spoiler, Ben, spoiler, bum, bum, bum. You're going to get to interview Lawrence oh <laughs> Yeah, you're, we're going to do a much longer one. This is kind of a short one, and we really do talk about Joker. That for, was
2: genuine surprise, by the way, everybody. Yeah, I didn't sure. know that I was going to get to do that. Yeah,
3: you're going to get to do that. It's it, it, only about like 60 days away or something like that. We got, we got a schedule. That's we, very exciting. Yeah, exactly. So but we're super excited to have uh, Lawrence back on the show where we can talk at length. We were constantly being interrupted during this interview that you're yeah. about to hear. And uh, literally, I think the first interruption came where they said, OK, it's your last question when we were only four minutes into the interview. You won't hear that because of our fantastic editor. Ben Katz, who's like, what? Why? Why are you stopping right now and cut, cutting all that stuff? What if out. he decides to go all
2: structuralist on us and leave that
3: stuff in, in there? there? He's he's not, cause he'll be fired. OK, so, okay. So, <laughs> so, Hey. Uh, OK, before we get to the interview, though, I think it's time for close focus. Oh, and, uh, and you had a topic you wanted to discuss very badly. Well, um, I don't know if it's very badly, but here's the thing. You know, I think I meant very poorly. OK, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's not what you meant. But 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 here's the thing. And you listeners may have friends like this as well, that you're really good friends, but you do not see eye to eye on movies. It is a rarity. You guys go to the movies together. You walk out. One of you is Siskel. The other of you is Ebert. Uh, one person likes for, it for those of you, for those millennials who've never seen Siskel and Ebert uh, a very famous. <laughs> they, were, they were movie critics who are both now dead. <laughs> And they they had a TV show where they (laughs)
2: argued with each other horribly. Uh, Look on YouTube. It's funny.
3: And basically the way it worked is there was no star rating. It was either you got a thumbs up. Yes. See this. Or you got a thumbs down. Only once do I ever remember them saying thumbs sideways. It like it didn't happen. What did they say thumbs sideways about? I can't even remember. It was it's it was forgettable now. I don't I don't know what what it was. That's that's noteworthy. Yeah. For the most part, it was always thumbs up or thumbs down. So one one was
2: short and fat and hairy. One was tall tall and and skinny and and bald. bald. Yeah.
3: So they they really were like a, a, you know opposites they so. were
2: cartoon characters and they didn't uh, like each other by the way in, in, yeah. in person apparently they'd go on like uh, talk shows together and i think it was like letterman or someone said you guys are friends right you hang out and they were like each other like nope no. <laughs> yeah,
3: not not so I, much i kind of
2: like that that they, uh, they they were in a spiteful professional s- marriage they for stuck years. to their
3: guns oh yeah and and they both wrote for chicago newspapers yeah so
2: but just chicago yeah, anyway
3: right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway so uh you probably have that friend who you go see a movie with, or you go and both see the same movie separately and then and talk about, and you come away with wildly different feelings and opinions, and Ben and I have had this very respectful disagreement on on many movies over the years, and we, we've come to another one, which is, um, okay, I have to preface it slightly, I was watching a critically acclaimed, very, very long movie uh, just recently, and I, I had to turn it off, I couldn't keep watching it, and I found Booksmart, and so watched Booksmart on, I think it was Hulu, and really, really liked Booksmart. It's the Olivia Wilde movie set in high school, and I basically am making the contention that there haven't been very many sort of like I, I, th- I think that John Hughes sets the standard for the high school movie. And I think that we're kind of spoiled as children of the 80s and, you know, maybe early 90s, as some of us still in our, our teenage years. We got spoiled by fantastic, fantastic John Hughes movies and all the rest of the stuff that's come around I, I, I'm gonna since say, then. I'm
2: going to say we got spoiled because we were white guys watching.
3: Watching white, other white w- people. Watch, watching.
2: <laughs> no, but like watching John Hughes movies, which were like. Kind of racist and kind of misogynistic. I hate to say it, because when I was 12 years old, I could quote The Breakfast Club from beginning to end, nonstop, not miss a single line, and and I feel like it had a message of inclusion, just not an inclusion that included anyone who wasn't white.
3: Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm not. I'm not saying that these movies are. are or perfect. straight, by the way. Yeah. They're, they're, okay. So.
2: Yeah. I mean, watch Weird Science today and I think you'll walk away going like, "Mm, yeah, I I have bad feelings about this movie now or 16 Candles, which Molly Ringwald has sort of come out and said that, you know, there's some really questionable shitty things that happen in 16 Candles that. And I feel like it's not just a sign of its times. I feel like it kind of was a thought leader in its time of setting a standard and saying, like, these are gender politics And they're not okay.
3: Okay, well, I I guess I'm thinking of more things like uh, Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller's and uh, career opportunities. There's a Mm -hmm. lot of there's 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 more to that spectrum.
2: Yeah. He created a whole genre of of teenage movies that spoke to our generation for sure. You know, Pretty in Pink, Sixteen Candles. There's a lot of great work in there. But I, I guess I have a difference of opinion when it comes to saying that that was as good as it could get. And I mean, like, I'm a big fan of Heathers, which is shortly after that. And I think that is a better movie than any John Hughes movie.
3: It's kind of like the anti-John Hughes film, though. So it's sure. Like, yeah. I mean, it, it's much, much darker, but it, it's really funny. I just read something today that said the reason you haven't seen a better dark comedy high school movie than Heathers is because there hasn't been one. Yeah, and I, so. I would agree with that. I think Heathers. But the, I mean. The trick is a good high
2: school movie is just being a good movie, and that's hard enough. I mean, wouldn't you call Super Bad a really good high school movie? I think it's good. I thought uh, Super Bad was brilliant. It's I, it's a little bit of like the fantasy life of a boy, you know. And I feel like a lot of these movies are fueled by boy fantasy, literally. Yeah,
3: yeah there's there's some of that for sure. But uh, but you know, okay, Super Bad I think is a good movie. I think it is a solid movie. I don't go back and think of it as like, you know, legendary movie, like a, like a movie that. Well, don't you also think
2: that part of it is like when you were a kid? Because of my
3: perspective, it's possible. Yeah, they're
2: making a movie about people your age and then suddenly you're like, hey, that could be me. I could be Anthony Michael Hall or Robert Downey Jr. or whatever.
3: Look, there's just, there's so many great John Hughes sort of things that, that he did either as a writer or director, producer, maybe all three, but I'm thinking of movies like, you know, Mr. Mom. Uh, He also did some kind of wonderful uh, trains, planes and automobiles. He, He did a ton of. Stuff of course, then the uh, Home Alone. So I think that John Hughes movies have a certain. I'm, sort I'm of not like crapping on John Hughes. Okay. just, you know, I I think
2: that what I think of when I think of a John Hughes movie are movies like Sixteen Candles, Pretty in Pink, and I think that those movies did as much to reinforce stereotypes as they did to kind of explode them. And I mean, like, watch Sixteen Candles, and I haven't wa- seen it in a long time. I have watch to say. for like the long duck dong scenes, and you'll be was, like, oh, it's. <sighs> I mean, it's a lot like Mickey Rooney in Breakfast at Tiffany's, except they. Got an Asian guy to play the Asian character. The caricature.
3: Long Duck Dong stuff is is so racist. It it's is pre- like it's,
1: it's pretty racist. It's pretty, it's pretty fucking there's,
3: racist. There's a lot of
2: movies in the '80s like Revenge of the Nerds. The same thing where it's oh, like yeah, they that. just gloss over a rape. And this is another
3: movie that does that. See, I did not. You know, I got to say that uh, you you bring up Sixteen Candles uh, in in your uh, straw man argument here. Of here, I say there's all these great movies. Uh, I think that is possibly one of the weakest movies of of the bunch. Okay. I don't think that is. That's actually it's that's not my favorite. When I think of John Hughes. Sixteen Candles isn't the one that immediately comes Fair to mind. But uh but anyway, regardless, Book Smart. I've turned on Book Smart after turning off this other movie and I found it an incredible delight. And yes, it is sort of millennial unless yes, it is uh this very, very much so I feel like current Woke, politically correct, you know, high school. Uh, it looks all shot in Van Nuys, but uh, but, you know, I, don't, I think it's supposed to be somewhere in Los Angeles.
2: I think you and I are both extras in the background and we don't even realize it, it. C- could yeah. possibly be. Just but like, but I mean, it can't just walking down the sidewalk.
3: Regardless, Booksmart has a clever voice and it's an interesting voice and it's a voice I hadn't seen before. And I can't think of a high school set movie that I laughed more in. I laughed. I laughed. Pretty interesting. Much I, I, I did enjoy
2: it. I will say uh, there's a trope that I'm over. What's trope? What trope is that? The trope is white people in slow motion with rap music doing something that is a risk to them. So we're trying to make it dangerous by putting rap music in slow motion under them. And they they use the uh, Run the Jewels uh, song. Nobody speak, which is a great song. They use it like five times in that movie. And I was like, oh, come on, you can be better. Yeah. Filmmakers listening to my voice don't have white people do things in slow motion to gangster rap ever again i'm not and i'm not even saying run the jewels is gangster rap because they really aren't they're they're both really awesome guys uh and i'm not even saying gangster rap people aren't awesome guys uh, I'm, my voice is going to keep getting higher every time I continue. do <laughs> uh, I did. I did kind of, I, I enjoyed uh book smart a lot. My wife and I actually like made that a whole date night and we went and saw it. Okay. I did feel like the wokeness factor of it started making me feel like an angry old man because it is so internally woke as a script that there's no character in high school who is mean to anyone because of their, because of anything, everyone is so body positive and, and, you know, uh, inclusive. And I'm like, you know, that is a utopia I would love to live in, but it doesn't make for great
3: drama. Okay. Well, I, the drama never feels particularly heavy in this movie. It feels, I think it feels actually pretty light. I mean, you're not mm-hmm. really concerned for everyone Their 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 problems are all very first world problems. Correct. Right? So there, there's nothing in this that is like, uh, for me, but when they get
2: hardcore, man, the, the queue up to run the jewels
3: anyway. <laughs> uh, but but the stuff that takes place at Lito's Pizza, which I don't want to give away things for the people who haven't listened to it. But it's like I feel like there's a lot of unexpected funny moments. It all takes place in one night. I am a sucker for the movies that all take place pretty much like in in one night or within like a 24 hour period. I think that's uh, like a
2: Ferris Bueller's Day Off, you might what,
3: say. Yeah. Or an After Hours by Martin Scorsese. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of movies that, that do that sort of thing or e- even, you know, uh, most recently Concrete Kids, which you haven't seen. You should definitely go see that now available on streaming services. I'll check so, it out. So. Uh, so, yeah, I think that that that's wonderful. It's wonderful to have just a pure comedy and a pure comedy with a different voice. And yes, you know, I I understand how uh, painful you found the wokeness, but I will tell you, I think that it's sort of a reality of the school system these days. And people, you you know
2: better than me because your kids are older, slightly older, but you know, in that they have words and do stuff.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. That, that all of this is true, but uh, I, I think that, you know, look, and I'm not saying there haven't been any good high school movies since the early '90s, but for the most part, uh, I'm saying I think it's been sort of a dearth. I'm saying I don't think there's been like a lot of great things. There was Mean Girls. There's a few things in there that stand. I out. love
2: Mean Girls.
3: Yeah, mean Girls is. Really I mean, good.
2: I, I. It will be interesting. I mean, I think when you make the. John Hughes comparison, like the Once thing a about
3: decade, once every five years. I mean, there's well, not, there, like,
2: there were a, there was a whole spade of them. And before we started talking, uh, you you were not into them, but it was, you know, things like she's all that can't hardly wait. Yeah. Ten were, things I hate about you. And those were kind of like the early, uh, early aughts. Uh, yeah. They had little
3: lightweights like Heath Ledger in them. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, can't uh, hardly wait he, is actually really good. I don't, mean, don't even don't even try to tell me that's Heath Ledger's best work. Cause that's, that's not, well, I mean, <laughs> broke back mountain. No, yeah. it's uh, yeah, fine. But you know,
2: my, my point being, I, I don't know. There haven't been uh, since John Hughes, too many filmmakers who said I'm going to make like, exclusively movies about high schoolers, or I'm even just gonna make a bunch of movie, movies about high schoolers. It'll be interesting to see if, like, Olivia Wilde, after making Book Smart, decides to uh, stay on this path and make several movies about teenagers. I welcome her voice as a filmmaker. I thought that her, both of her leads were excellent. I just think that when the movie was over, it didn't stick with me like, uh, here's a movie I wanna watch over and over again, like a Ferris Bueller's Day Off kind of a thing, or super, like all the other ones that we talked about. I would much rather watch Super Bad or Mean Girls, or Heathers. Uh,
3: and, you know, it's not John Hughes, but we also had great things like Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which was also Amy Heckerling and Karen yeah. Crow. And I don't feel like that sort of genre of 80s, early 90s movie just basically doesn't exist, I would say, except for things like uh, Booksmart. So. Well, and I'm, and I'm glad
2: it exists for that reason. I think that the bigger indictment that comes down when we bring this up is that there are there isn't a place for like probably what was then like a $5 million movie. That's, what today would be like a $20 million movie to make, you know, if you're going to make a movie like that, like a real movie and treat it like a job and pay everybody. Well, you need, you know, you probably need between 15 and 30 million to do it, to, to make it a theatrical feature thing that people are going to go see in the movie theaters. And people aren't going to see those as much in the movie theaters. But I do think that you'll see a bunch of those kinds of things as series
3: on Netflix. I think you're right, and actually, Netflix has started to embrace that. And I don't know how successful their sort of early forays into this have been, but sort of high school light comedy, light romance sort well, of. Probably thing,
2: that's so. where you're going to find the high school audience anyway is going to be wanting to watch it more on a Netflix kind of a platform than wanting to go see it in a movie theater, where they would probably instead prefer to go see something like a new Avengers
3: movie, which there won't be one for a while. <laughs> um. I, I was racking my brain trying to think of sort of like a, a high school set movie that uh, that I enjoyed as much as uh, Booksmart in the last 10 years. And the closest thing I think I could come to, I don't remember what your super bad was, but I think it was even before. But I was going to say Easy A might have been the last thing I saw. I thought
2: Easy A was excellent. Yeah. yeah,
3: that was 2010. Yeah. So, so that nine years. I, I just don't get. think we make a lot of movies about high schoolers at the moment. Oh, I think we I think we do. I just don't think you and I. They, they resonate or on, on our <laughs> radar. I'm pretty sure that for all the people in high school right now watching high, high school stuff. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe um, maybe they did get usurped by the uh, I just divergence don't think, and the Hunger yeah, I, mean, I, I Yeah, and, yeah, yeah.
2: exactly. You, you get stuff like Maze Runner. I mean, I think they're making stuff oh for that God. audience, yeah. but I don't think that they're making stuff that's, Exactly calibrated the way that the way that John Hughes was writing movies and and I'll give him credit for this is that he was treating his characters as fully formed people, not as kids characters. Yeah, yeah. and I feel like that's something Booksmart does. I, I feel like it goes almost too far in the opposite direction. Agreed. Of, of, of making them, <laughs> we
3: probably could have used more caricature. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: It, yeah. I mean, that I was waiting for. I was waiting for them to be for someone to be shallow or petty or or no, they're or they're... like everyone I knew in high school. Anyway, <laughs>
3: well, anyway, okay. So, uh, listeners, if you if there is a high school movie that we have neglected here that you think is really uh, great art that we should be paying attention to in in any sort of uh, sub genre of of high school set stuff uh let us know send us a message on one of the social things and tell us how we were wrong or right or something else come at me about john hughes (laughs) fight me yeah (laughs) all right let's let's roll right into the interview with uh lauren scherr and then we'll
1: be back with more fun
3: stuff all right
1: the cinematography podcast interview
3: lauren Scher, thank you so much for coming on
0: the cinematography podcast yeah. Hey. Listen. I'm uh, my pleasure. I'm happy to be here.
1: You
3: made a little tiny movie called Joker. Yeah. <laughs> and and you know I'm only kind of kidding that it's a little tiny movie because it feels like a little tiny movie even though you have every toy under the sun and you have Joaquin Phoenix and this all of the crew and everything behind it. I I got to give you some of the credit for the feel of making this feel so intimate, and making it feel more like a small movie. How how do you take a gigantic blockbuster type of movie like this? and help it feel, um, I don't wanna say claustrophobic, but feel like it's like it's more of a small story. It's a story that is, that, that's personal. Yeah,
0: no, I mean, I think it first and foremost came from Todd and Scott's script, which was really in its essence a character study. And I think for us, we definitely understood that we were making a movie that had the IP of some, like a very important piece of IP, right? And a character and a, an infamous um, villain in, in comic book lore. And perhaps we sort of even thought like, are we supposed to make this bigger than we, but it never really had that. I think that was more of an, that fear of like, is this movie going to feel too small? Is this movie going to feel like, are people going to be disappointed that the movie is not something they think it's supposed to be, right? Like a big comic book movie, right? And even though we were making it relatively inexpensively for what maybe the modern comic book movie is, i think you know in our heart we were making basically a movie that we didn't necessarily reference these 70s movies but we wanted it to feel as if it could have been made back then which was they were the the most important decade for movies that were just about people like just one character maybe two you know and 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 just dissecting the human condition in movies that that maybe the stakes were lower and and the movies were smaller and We just happen to be doing it, you know, in a different world. But, you know, for us, the most important thing was how do you connect to this human? How do you connect to this person, Arthur Fleck, and tell his story and then watch the sort of transition that he's making into like a future version of himself, which is like the person we come to know, and then hope that that people won't be disappointed when it comes out. And thankfully, they
3: weren't. N- not at all. Uh, I, w- I watched it yesterday and uh, I think, you know, kudos to you because I think you achieved all that you, you set out for. And it very much does feel exactly like you're saying. And I, I'm sure the script has a lot to do with it, but I don't think it feels too small. It, this wasn't an indie film. <laughs> I mean, by, by any stretch in the in the means, but uh, it really does feel intimate and you feel like you get to really understand the Arthur Fleck character and you really get to, you know, see his descent, which is, which yeah. is wonderful. Tell me about where does the inspiration for a movie like this come from, from, from your perspective, from your, your lighting and framing and your design? And uh, did I hear correctly, it was a, it was a large format movie of, of some sort, you captured it large format? Because uh, usually when people think large formats, they think um, big, epic sort of stuff, but right. you kept large format in this really personal space. So if you, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about your, your thought process on where the inspiration comes for all of these things, these elements.
0: Yeah, I think it was something that both Todd and I came together was this idea that I've always thought of large format photography, much like portrait photography and stills, which is you're using slightly larger lenses, but with the field of view of a a wider lens in another format. And the idea that one, it provides some separation because of the shallower depth of field, but the fact that you're physically closer to the actor that has an intimacy. And so we could use large format to help with the intimacy, right? It was like actually not thinking of like the traditional Lawrence of Arabia, large format, that idea of like a huge, like, um, epic, uh, you know, big wise and all those things, although we definitely wanted those, but how could we use it to, to actually draw us further into the mind of this person? And, and so that's how we used it. it was like, oh, let's make, it'll actually help with the intimacy. Um, and I think it,
3: I think it did for sure. Uh, I, I think so too uh, what about uh, lighting and, and framing for inspiration like uh, did you did you reference uh, paintings or uh, what uh, a lookbook did you create something what is your where does your process go to, to figure out how you want this this movie to look
0: yeah I I reference a lot of movie stills and I reference uh, I actually created this website called shot deck which is like a image database specifically for that and so plug shot deck, absolutely, you know. Yeah, so it, it's literally it was because I wanted it to exist, which was a way to sort of have a um, catalog of imagery that you could use to sort of build the look and the tone and the feel of the movie and help have those conversations with the director and production designers and all that. So for this movie, you know, there was a lot of things. It was a little bit of like a, a bit of fractured framing, never the camera at eye level, um, particularly early in the movie. There's just like something off about the framing and just a little bit askew and and just to like just key into the fact that and be a little more aggressive frankly compositionally than maybe we've had chances to be in some of our previous movies because we had so much time just spending the, the movie spending with one character that we could paint I think a little bit more of, uh, of, of image like make very engaging still images and to some extent If I was tying anything into the comic book genre of sorts, it was more towards like a graphic novel, which was every, you know, graphic novels, the image is the most important thing, right? There are words, but you're really kind of like flipping through images that tell the story, and those images happen to be stills. And so I I definitely was trying to find ways in which every scene we could could find an image that if you pause the movie, that would tell the story. So whether it was a story about loneliness or a story about pain or or destruction or whatever that is that we could use the the still image to find it and then composition became very important. I mean I referenced strange movies like Killing of a Sacred Deer and you know I have things in the lookbook that are like run the gamut from like some odd super low angle shot from Doctor Strange Love that I was intrigued by to you know, these big wide shots with a very tiny person from shot, like a shot from Moneyball or a shot from Fargo, where it's like these big, vast landscapes with tiny people. And some of those are in the movie. Some of them are on the editing floor, but they were all part of like building the language of the movie.
3: Uh, They they definitely are. And there's, there's one push in scene I recall, I believe in his apartment where you just end up, towards the end of it, catching a piece of the kitchen, which is all right. lit up. And I remember thinking to myself, whoa, that was really like disconcerting. Like I expected like someone else to like appear there or something. Yeah. And, like, and uh, I kind of felt like uh, one, totally intentional and two, very effective. I, do you know the shot I'm talking about? Of course, about? I know so.
0: it very well. Yeah, it was a B camera. Um, on a dolly and and you know one of the things that we did that's a set that we built on stage at Steiner in New York and Mark Friedberg who's an amazing production designer and I would have conversations about how to literally design the set to create frames within a frame be able to pull the camera back so we actually put the hallway very specifically there so that we could get far enough back to make to either frame it statically or make a camera move like that and the kitchen and the way the doorway to the kitchen led in once you cut through the first frame, it opened your field of view up to the second, which was the kitchen. And that's where like that color contrast that I'm certainly interested in and the cyan, because you're in a space where he's just under the tungsten bulb, which he's going to sit and write his journal notes in against the sort of sodium vapor windows. Is the dominant color. And when you break that frame, not only are you seeing into the kitchen, but that very specific cyan fluorescent that's on there um, I think also provides a little bit of like color in a way that that helps that that
3: image, let's say a hundred percent yeah, the color is is striking in, uh, during that moment. Um, i get got the impression and I could be wrong here that Joaquin Phoenix does a lot of uh, improvising or has uh, a very, very free range of of movement. And I know that and you can you can tell me that I'm I'm completely off here and it's very rehearsed and meticulous and everything else. But I know how challenging that can be from a cinematographer's job when an actor has free reign and can move anywhere and you have to follow and you have to be, be ready and you have to have a wonderful focus, puller and camera team and everything else how much of what we're seeing on the screen have improvised moments or improvised movement or improvised blocking that you had to deal with
0: it really depends scene to scene i mean there were definitely things particularly when they were like transitional things like i may have been walking up the stairs or walking to his apartment or walking into the the elevator or checking his mail that from scouting through preparation we kind of knew precisely how we were going to cover that and because a lot of that is just movement we planned those out and kind of shot them as we sort of planned but Once we got into his apartment and other scenes in which it was him exploring his own sort of mind, we tried to give it as much freedom as possible. And then, particularly as we were in his apartment later in the shoot, and Todd, he's always, he's one of the things he does best is like we plan, but then we always have to be willing to throw it all out if there's a better idea, or just also even if you're in the middle of shooting and it doesn't feel right, let's throw it out. So my objective is always to give as much freedom to both Todd and Joaquin throughout the movie. And a lot of it, we really just knew maybe the construct of the scene. He's going to sort of sit and I guess he'll, he, we know he's going to sort of be looking at the gun and eventually he's going to shoot it and it's going to hit the wall and there's going to be a hole in the wall because that was part of the script. And, but that was kind of all we knew. And then me and my A operator would both basically grab a camera and we would discuss about where his camera would be. And then I would basically find another position that wouldn't photograph him. And then we would never rehearse. We would just start on take one, just watch Joaquin. And and the discovery was really the fun part. So, like, even what's in the movie when he stands up and he does that whole conversation about, like, you're a really good dancer. And he's like, I know. You know who's not? And that I had no idea, right? So that's not in the script. That's just Joaquin. And and even how long he's going to inspect the gun and what's he going to do with it, we just have no idea. And that, that kind of thing presented itself all throughout the movie, whether it was dancing in the bathroom after he's killed the Wall Street guys or... Yeah, spoilers,
3: sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm going to guess, uh, and I could be wrong on this, but the uh, wetting of the brush on his tongue.
1: All
0: of
3: that, right. Yeah. That's never something that
0: yeah. nobody... I mean, that's happening in real time, right? We know he's like, okay, we're going to shoot a scene in which he's preparing to put his makeup on before Randall shows up, right? So all of those things, we're watching it and discovering it for the absolute
3: first time, like crawling in the refrigerator. And like, no, I had no idea he was going to do that. I got to give you some props, too. A lot of times when... DPs decide that they are going to create different looks throughout a movie for different times or um, let's say fantasies or delusions or uh, you know television sets or whatever it is, they have such wildly different looks that it almost doesn't feel like the same movie. Your work on Joker in particular I never forgot that I was seeing your world. Your world was created in all of those different looks and pieces and color palettes that you have throughout that it feels extremely cohesive. Uh, I, I'm sure you, you probably want to give some some credit to your, your colorist and the people that you work with, but the design and all of that, I know that comes through the production design that comes from, through from yeah. you. Uh, you want to tell a little about the colors because like you've got, you've got a wonderful desaturation, saturation. You've got uh some very monochromatic at points. You've got some, uh, some, some wonderful sort of uh, contrast ratios, and, but never once, as I'm going through this did I feel go like oh, I'm in a different movie now. I mean, yeah. something else, So
0: well, I think because first and foremost Everything was drawn from a place of reality, right? So a lot of the color palette as much as there's some emotional value to the color the truth is that Core four sort of four sort of colors lighting wise in the movie are all drawn from reality, right? So it's like you've got your sodium vapor. You've got your tungsten bulbs. You've got your cool white fluorescence you've got your warm white fluorescence like What's, it's utilitarian, right? But if you if you put them in the right combination, and you put them in the right situation, and you kind of put them in the same scene sometimes, it can give you a variance of color that can can be striking and, and interesting, certainly for me, who I like that aesthetic. But, you know, it, a large part does go to, besides Todd, of course, which he, he governs everything, but Mark Friedberg, the production designer, Mark Bridges, the costume designer, Combination of the three of us, we were constantly either looking at colors, looking at palettes, testing things in pre-production to maintain a consistency of that, right? That consistency was, of course, a key component because you never want it to feel like a bunch of different movies all put together, even though we're using a lot of different styles, you know?
3: So, in the time we've got left here, tell me a little bit about how how it feels to see this movie with an audience and to gauge their reactions and to gauge their their feedback. Because I, I assume did you do some of that last night? Did you? Uh, or have I you done watched.
0: Uh, I get a little nervous now when I watch it. I've seen it obviously a lot of times. I watched. I always. I always watch the beginning, like first twenty minutes, and then I. I love basically from right after Murray Franklin when he's like, "Just remember, folks, that's life." Through like in the in the white room like that music cue driving through the chaos that he's created and the car crash and then standing on top of the cop car all the way through the end in the Arkham that was thrilling the first time I saw it because I had seen the cut besides obviously making the movie I'd seen a very early cut that Todd did and I gave him some notes and 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 then I went away and, and and probably didn't see anything for two months and the next time I saw it was actually in a room with like 400 Warner executives, like the world distribution guys came to watch the movie. And I just remember, honestly, I was just an audience member. And I remember turning to my wife because she hadn't seen it. She'd seen Dailies, of course, with me. But I was like, is this working for you? And she goes, it's amazing. And I went, I know, because I think this is amazing. <laughs> All right. And then. Like, I actually do feel thrilled. You know, the movie, one of the things Todd did brilliantly in the movie is he really paced the movie in a beautiful way where it's like this slow ramp up. Like I always say it's like boiling water, right? And when he stands on the car and does that sort of blood smile, it's exhilarating. And, and, And I had that impact, like I hope audiences members, but I was just an audience member, like feeling literally like thrilled, like this operatic sort of, Crescendo of a, of a moment that just has as much impact for me that I think has just for somebody who's never you know seen a frame. And then in subsequent screenings, I had another reaction at that same time where I suddenly felt this like really palpable sense that maybe we actually had made a comic book movie, even if we didn't set out to make one. Because I literally sat and went, "Oh my God, this city is fucked! Like this city is this chaos is now running the city." And that little kid in that alley better grow up soon because they're screwed until he becomes like whatever and old enough to make a decision to do his transformation and become Batman. So suddenly I was like, Oh, maybe this is a comic book movie. And I was like, all right, good. You know, we didn't set out to do it, but maybe we actually made one.
3: Uh, you, you absolutely did make one cause there's a lot of different types of comic books and uh, th- this is very much sort of dealing in those, those themes. Well, uh, Lawrence Shere, thank you so much for being on the show. It was really great, great having you. Thanks for having me. I Appreciate it. We'll, we'll have to do this again. Yeah, sometime. we'll do it again, longer for sure. All right. So that was Lawrence Shere. Lawrence, thank you so much for being on the show. That was so much fun, and we are looking forward to doing the much longer one. The much will, longer. We'll get you right here in the hot seat. <laughs> you be prepared, Ben. You got lots of you got lots of questions. I'll, to, uh, I'll ask you the same it won't be the same thing it won't be just like you know it'll be deeper it'll be more you know
2: yeah yeah it'll be yeah, more yeah yeah i'll get into the into the gizzard anyway <laughs> all right so hey it's time to pay the bills let's pay that bill who's bill
3: we're gonna we're we're gonna pay our bills, yeah. Nice. Our hosting fees, all of our, you know, our our, our expenses, all all of our overheads, our it, expense it, account. This
2: there. this office don't come cheap. Look, my Lamborghini isn't gonna pay for itself. <laughs> oh. Anyway, you,
3: you meant your your Kia with the flat tire. <laughs> yes, so. the Kia with the flat tire outside <laughs> on the donut. I, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad we we clarified that, lest our listeners think that you are driving around in the Lambo. Nope, 2016 <laughs> Kia Soul, everybody. That's that's how I roll, 2016. All right, well done. Hey, okay, so uh, we got to pay the bills, courtesy of Aperture, Aperture uh, makers of fine LED lighting products. I want to talk about one of their sort of lesser known uh, gizmos this week, which is their lantern attachment. The lantern attachment. You know, sometimes when you are lighting something, you just need a big soft source and 360 degrees of light. You need everything. A, li- a, a Chinese
2: lantern, if you will. Yes. Like a ex- paper lantern the, maybe yes. is, is, is the more proper way to refer to them today.
3: That That is the uh You know popular, what I would do? I would
2: yeah. go to Ikea and I'd get, uh, you know, a big old paper lantern for like four bucks and a, an incandescent bulb. And it was always a, a hassle to lug it around and set it up. So, it, it,
3: so, it, no, it was not a hassle, and it, to set it up, but the incandescent bulb and in that paper lantern didn't get right is uh, some weird shadows because of that wire on the inside that yeah. was wrapped around. Sort of the weird house I was queuing right up for t- to tell me why this is
2: better. That's what I was.
3: <laughs> also, doing. your sixty-watt bulb did not give you very much light, and yeah. if you did go out and buy one of the photo floods to try to do the same sort of thing, it lasted eight hours, and then that's it. Yeah. No, no more light. So the Aperture Lantern interfaces with many of their popular sort of mono light Bowens mount style units, which are essentially about the size of a bread box. And it pop here. You want to see the picture here? Ben? I do want to yeah, see the good. picture. Okay,
2: so I'm, I'm, I I love lighting with paper lanterns. It's so.
3: 26 inches in diameter. Ooh. It's more or less spherical. The whole thing collapses, which is was really handy here for transport. I like but, that more than a Shamira. And it has oh, now Shamira is definitely not sponsoring us oh. now that you now that you've thrown them under the bus there, Ben. Good no, good, I, good job. I I guess I'm talking
2: about the generic idea of I should uh, say a, I like that yeah, more well, than than a softbox on a light. And
3: you meant you meant this like Kleenex or Xerox or Correct. one of these. Yeah, okay.
2: I love Shamira makes Chimera. fine products. I'm not I'm not down on Shamira.
3: Anyway, anyway, so so here's the thing: the uh, the Aperture Lantern has a skirt too, and that skirt goes on the outside of it, so you can control your 360 degrees. So it's in a downward or any other sort of uh, direction that you would like. It's really clever. You can roll up one side, you can roll up four sides. It's uh, $89. What? I know. It's like. Shut up and take my money. That's it, awesome. It's a really, really cool product. It's available at Hot Rod Cameras. We keep them in stock. We have dozens of them, I think, at the moment. But All I'm, right. But I'll tell you that. That's like a perfect thing if you're
2: if you're like shooting an interview with someone and you just need a nice, big, soft source. On.
3: I'll tell you what. It is the gift giving season right now. It's just before, you know, it's just before Hanukkah and Christmas. And if you've got a filmmaker on your sort of Christmas list and they might have a fancy light already, but they may not have the lantern, the aperture lantern. My guessing is
2: that our listeners are the filmmaker on somebody else's Christmas list.
3: It could be, but maybe they could let it slip that, oh hey, it's only 89 bucks. And let me tell you, for for motion picture equipment, that is a bargain. That is, and I'm looking at it right now. It looks awesome. It's very cool. So anyway, you, you can you can check it out online, Aperture Lantern. We'll put a uh, we'll put a link in the show notes for you to check it out.
1: Buy well. one now.
3: <laughs> and now
1: short ends all right ben so
3: uh short end time you got you got a short end for us i do
2: have a short end and uh sometimes i i, I veer into post-production whoa stuff hold on
3: hold the phone i know
2: it's a cinematography podcast it's not the yeah, it's post-production production podcast.
3: Podcast. all right um, but well, i that...
2: want to talk about a tool that saved my ass this week what was that mocha pro have you ever heard of or used mocha pro it sounds something like a latte it does, doesn't it? So mocha was originally, uh, I think it was called Moa or Monet
3: or something. Coffee and hot chocolate.
2: Uh, what it started out as was a program, a very simple program, that if you had a TV in your shot and you needed to replace the screen, it would just kind of track the screen and you could put a new thing on the screen. This is oh, like nice. 10 years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it has evolved into one of the best tracking utilities that you can ever, 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 ever wish for. Really, um, better
3: than what's built into many popular nonlinear editing systems.
2: Well, like while well, in Premiere there really isn't a tracker as such. Uh, I was uh, bu- like Resolve, build maybe. into it. Uh, Resolve does have that, and After Effects does have mm-hmm. two trackers. It's got a kind of a point tracker, and then it's got a camera tracker. And then, probably starting six years ago in After Effects, they had a light version of Mocha that was that kind of came that came with it. and I used it on a project I was doing, which it won't surprise you, uh, we had to get blood all over this guy's face mm-hmm. but because it was kind of a low budget thing, and the guy had to go to I think his real job immediately after that, we couldn't get as much blood as I wanted on his face. and I was like,
3: <laughs> we need more blood on this guy's face."
2: so I was like. I'm gonna try this Mocha thing out, even though I don't really know how to do it. So what Mocha does is like a point tracker. For instance, if uh, I if I had a shot of your face and I could see the corner of your glasses, it would just track that those pixels, that group of pixels, wherever they moved. But a planar tracker doesn't do that. It tracks a plane. A plane. So instead of tracking that, I would say track your forehead, like the front of your forehead, or the top of your nose, or parts of your cheek, or whatever. And, and it also uh, accounts for, like, changes in shape and, and all these things. And it does amazing shit. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, they have a remove module in there that if, if uh, you were walking around and you had a logo on your shirt, I could take it off. Frankly, Whoa. if you were walking down the beach and the camera was handheld and panning, I could just take you out of the shot. And, and there's What? There's, it's amazing. And that
3: wouldn't look like a big blurry mess that would been Correct, there? Correct,
2: because it would use uh, other frames to interpolate what should be in that frame. And it would just take it, Shut Does up. it
3: well enough that it doesn't look like weird an artifact with like strange blobs? I mean, I'm not going
2: to say that it works 100% of the time every time without any effort. I will say that it is a most f- of the time with minimal effort. It is a fraction of the effort that it would take to do the same thing with After Effects. Wow. And I say this as a lover of After Effects. So a
3: $50 a month lover
2: of After Effects. <laughs> that is true. So years ago on on a Black Friday sale, I bought Mocha Pro because I was working on a project and we desperately needed because the Pro version did all kinds of stuff. Would that set you back? I think back then it was like 400 bucks for the for the pro version of it. Literally this this week they uh, so they were owned by a company called Imagineer Systems. By the way, they have tons of amazing tutorials. A woman named Mary Poplin does a lot of them, and she's very clear about how to do it. Although sometimes when I watch them, I'm like, wow, I'm dumb because I really have a hard time following. What it what it is is I don't follow the entire chain of thought that it goes into what's going on, but I think you know it's one of those tools. The more you use it, the more you understand it. For instance, I used it left and right on season two of Twenty Seconds to Live, where I had to you know make a time machine and do all kinds of crazy shit. I, I, it was the most efficient and fastest way to track stuff and then get it back into into After Effects and know that I had a rock rock solid track. But anyway, they had. So, so
3: you're saying Mary Poplin made you feel dumb when you were watching the uh, the tutorials? Did she also speak like a British nanny? Did she? No, 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 she's not Mary Poplin. She
2: didn't make me feel dumb. Okay, I'm dumb.
3: Oh, okay. so, I'm glad we got this clear now. Yeah, okay, no, so I was just. You, feel, how was, many times did I watch this tutorial? I, I how was, many times I did was it?
2: feeling <laughs> accurately about myself? Okay, so um. <laughs> No, but uh, anyway, so I just upgraded because they had another Black Friday thing, and and I was like, "What's going on in Pro?" So in in the intervening years, they were sold from Imagineer Systems to Boris Effects. Oh, Boris Effects has been around since forever, I, since yeah. I can remember. I remember them in the '90s. Oh yeah, and uh, Boris Effects has some great stuff. I don't have any of their uh, collections, so I can't really speak to that. Uh, but I upgraded. But you have Mocha. I do have Mocha, and they uh, they recently made it so to bring it back to what you were saying, it now runs in Premiere, so you can do tracking and that means you can do levels of stabilization image stabilization and and other things that it's it's a shocking amount that you can do with mocha pro to paint out logos you don't want to take elements out that you don't want to add elements in that you want uh roto if you need to roto stuff out and one of the new things that it does is like let's say you have a panning shot and they they show how they do this uh it can create a clean plate out of your panning shot as a still image at the resolution of however wide your pan is. So if you're shooting wow. in 4K, but you pan from left to right, it's it's going to be like... 40K. Yeah,
3: it's going to be like... Yeah, exactly. It's going to be 12,000 pixels all wide. All right, Ben. So I think you you just delved into post, went down the rabbit hole of Mocha. We lost about 58% of our, our, our listeners... But let let me try to bring it back around for everyone here who who just like their brain went, I don't know what the hell he's saying right now. If someone was so inclined to want to learn how to do all these very cool post-production visual effects sort of trickery, which used to be uh, tedious to say the least. Uh, They could invest a little bit of money in Mocha Pro, watch a few tutorials, and Bob's your uncle. You could be banging out some...
2: I agree. And I also think that as as a filmmaker, working with After Effects and learning how to do that stuff has changed my workflow on set. And I think that it probably behooves people, even if they're not going to go out and buy these tools, to understand how they work. Because their work is going to be touched by, you know, Mocha is the tip of the iceberg. There's dozens and dozens of these kinds of tools that vfx people use and you know back in the day like let's say you were setting up a shot and there was a light stand in the background or whatever
3: oh, and you needed to get rid of it that was going to be thousands of dollars and yeah. hundreds of hours and, yeah
2: even yeah. if even if it was two hours that could ruin your day today you'd be like just leave it i'm going to paint that shit out i don't need to worry about that and with mocha you could literally the thing about mocha and if i'll show you some tutorials uh, after we're done but it's like It's so easy to use and it does all the shitty math and it basically reduces what might have been, you know, 20 stupid little keyframes to like three Mm. or sometimes none. And uh, and and I think that uh, it's almost impossible these days to separate cinematography from this kind of post because this kind of post is going to if you know how to use it, you can save time on set, move forward and, and have complete confidence that you can make shit work later and it, and it's not a hey we're going to fix it in post it's like no hey, it's
3: it's going to be it's going to be you'd never know that this needed fixing yeah
2: yeah it's it's like you would hear a phrase like i'm going to paint that out and it sounds like oh i have to be a painter do i no you can just be someone who knows how to use the clone stamp in photoshop and how to you know export a certain kind of file that has a, a transparent background and track it into a shot and your problem solved and it and it took one person Five minutes on a computer as opposed to, you know, three grips in the rain walking, you know, <laughs> 400 feet and almost dying.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I got you. That, that that sounds amazing. It's an incredible. It sounds like something incredible. and We should all understand that. So, and
2: it, and it yeah. saves it. I, I literally used it 10 times this week. Saves my ass at every turn. And when I found out that it ran in Premiere. That was a huge time savings because it saved me having to even do the round tripping into After Effects then, you know, and, and it works in pretty much any uh, software. I think it even works in Resolve. I'm not sure, but I know it works in Avid.
3: Wow. All right. So my my short end this week is hacking. So everyone knows about hackers. Hackers have a, you know, I mean, I just home. gave you my driver's license. <laughs> You just gave me your driver's I mean, license. No. so uh, I'm um, doing a bit, Ilya.
2: Just go with it. Oh, go. Uh,
3: thank you for your driver's license. <laughs> what, what, do I, what do I do with this now? So, uh, anyway, uh, hacking. I, I guess I got a little inspired by reading this article on The Verge called The Rise and Fall of the PlayStation Supercomputers, which uh, essentially the original PlayStation 3 uh, had a Linux box inside of it. You could run Linux inside of oh, it. this gaming console. And there were several people who were uh, hooking up between 60 and 70 PlayStations uh, or even more. And there's this cool picture of a whole bunch of them here on racks where they're uh, harnessing the power of, of all of these machines. And, and they did some really interesting stuff in the early days of, of PlayStation. They did this uh, like, um, Decentralized computer system where they uh, had like a, a program with NASA and with Dartmouth and a bunch of places, and you could like decode the human genome or you could uh, research data from astronomy. You could do all this sort of stuff with these decentralized computers using the computer power that you had in your home oh, hooked yeah. up to a I network. Oh yeah, I remember like, and, like uh, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Yeah, they, used
2: to have one of those. They, they did all they kinds just, of like, like use that. your your computing cycles to kind of you know point a telescope around or something.
3: Uh, Exactly. And uh, aliens found zero. (laughs) (laughs) They talk about a particular story that they hooked up 1700 of these computers. So you're not talking about hackers who like steal your email. No, but it's it's hacking in a clever way to make something do what it was never necessarily intended to do or finding new uses. And I think it's very interesting how some of the largest companies out there. Uh, have very much tried to discourage hacking, the hacking of uh, whatever their technology is, their products. And others don't really seem to care. They uh, well, I won't say necessarily encourage it, but um, they seem to be maybe uh, neutral about it or laissez faire. And So if someone does something to it to increase their performance, and that's kind of how this company got started is we actually started off by hacking cameras, uh, either in uh, software You're or in hardware. You're talking about hot rod cameras. Hot rod cameras. This is how my my company, the company that sponsors this podcast and puts this on. This is how we got started 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 was hacking, making a camera perform beyond the original specifications from the manufacturer. And some people were cool with it, some were less than cool with it. But uh, regardless, this sort of thing continues to go on today. And there are all kinds of interesting hacking products. I know the Maker Faire is this weekend in uh, Los Angeles. I'm going to go down and check this out and see all the different sort of things that are going on. But if you want a good example of basically something that was not intended really to have this sort of extra functionality. They got turned into a whole bunch of other things. Check out this article on The Verge about the rise and fall of the PlayStation Supercomputer. And it fell? Like, you can't do it now? Uh, They stopped making it, and they removed Linux from subsequent PlayStations. So how does does that...
2: uh, I I know that you've... That's your short end, but like, how does that differ from like, if you were to have like a Raspberry Pi or an Arduino or something today that you could load uh, like a a tiny version of
3: linux onto you know just a basically a little card that is a computer uh it, it's that's far less powerful than the the clusters essentially of supercomputers that you had the ability to do with playstations oh. and the, and they were they were relatively inexpensive so even though things are incredible in your pocket and everything else going back a few years ago the amount of computing processing that you could do from a $300 gaming console was kind of remarkable but uh I, really it's sort of my my jumping off point just to the whole idea of like uh if you are clever and if you have enough uh, chutzpah and uh, some time on your hands, it's amazing what, what you can come up with. You can come up with really, really incredible stuff. And I, I really encourage people to do that. I think it's fantastic. Cool. Well, that's awesome. All right. So that about does it for this episode. Uh, join us next week where we're going to have another fantastic episode with the return of Faden Pop Michael.
2: Yeah. And between now and then, I will have watched Ford versus Ferrari.
3: You, you will have. So yeah. and then you and I can talk about it like we're, we're, we're going to L- like, so. <laughs> like people who have seen it anyway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, Ben, where can people find you? People can
2: find me at BenRockOnline.com. Just uh, go there and you'll find all my socials and everything.
3: You can find me over here at Hot Rod Cameras and all the usual places that you might find someone online.
2: Uh, yeah. And uh, we'd like to thank, as always, our amazing and intrepid producer, Alana Cody, who's kicking all the ass and is the reason that we're sitting here right now.
3: Oh, and here's that bomb I was going to drop. Oh, right. save, save it till the end of the show. Kay Alatrachi listened to us. Which episode? I don't know, but he heard us making fun of him. And then what did he say? He said, yeah, it's deserved. Yeah, he he completely acknowledged that it was it was well-deserved and he understood that it was in it was in good Good humor. I didn't ask him which one he listened to, but Hot Red Cameras had our uh, holiday party last night. Ben Katz was here. Kays Alatrachi were here. They'd never met in person, so I introduced them. And then I was like, Why would they meet? Because Kaze <laughs> is completely unaware that Ben Katz is a person. Yeah, that, that's right. Because he doesn't he, listen to the podcast. Yeah, that's right. He's never heard a single thank you to him. So he, never, he, <laughs> had, he had no idea. And then so Ben Katz was put in the awkward position of explaining how he edits and uses all his music all the time in order to make this show that you're listening to right, right this second. So, wow. So, uh, so Kaze acknowledged that yes he has hasn't been good listening to our show but he did listen to it and he listened to us making fun of him so
2: okay so it was a recent episode he it wasn't must, like it wasn't it, like i'm gonna start at the beginning let's he let's did not go, go back jason if, wingrove
3: yeah he did not go 48 50 hours worth of yeah. uh, stuff right here 72 hours however many hours i'm sure that
2: in. i'm sure that the interviews on those are great like if we were to go back and listen to him the people They're were long. the people are great but like i had no idea what i was doing Anyway.
3: Well, you've, you've learned. Yeah. And, you and, only learned how to do this by And day. I didn't even do any interviews back then. It, now I've, you know. Yeah. I've now you're it.
2: doing like ha- half or more. Eh, 44% or something. No, but who's counting? 43.7%. <laughs>
3: But anyway, hey, uh, this one was mine and the next one's mine, too. So uh, so, yeah, in your face there, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who That's what have- you get for procreating. <laughs> yeah. How dare you? Now making me do more work. <laughs> uh, OK, so uh, thank you, Ben Katz. Uh,
2: as, as always, Ben, uh, thank you. And uh, I hope Kaze was was gentle.
3: Uh, and now I have to be uh, actually uh, actually have to say thank you, K's Alatrachi for, for the music and listening to the show. And you
2: may have actually listened to this episode. Maybe. But he's and, prob- and he would have a lot to say about the hacker stuff, by the way.
3: I'm sure he would. Actually, that was sort of inspired by it. But you know, I think we should have K's on the show one of these days. Totally. Yeah, but he's never going to hear that. Well, maybe he will now since he listened to the show. We should
2: totally have him on the show. I think. I think, I think, I think that, that that's. Fun. I mean, like, why haven't we had K's on the show already? <laughs> because he doesn't listen.
3: But now, now he listens. Most so. of our guests have never listened to the show. <laughs> but he, they, most of our guests did not provide the music for the show. That's true. That's it's, true. Uh, okay, do I forget anyone? Anyone else we need to thank? No, I think we're good. All right, then let's uh, let's let's stop this and go home.
2: All right, sleepy time.
1: This has been the Cinematography Podcast, presented by Hot Rod Cameras. Find your next camera, lens, or accessory on the web at hotrodcameras.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening.